Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to today. Happy Election Day. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. What a nice way to start. I'm looking forward uh, to this day. It's interesting. It's, uh, you know, it's it's when we choose what appear to be normal everyday ordinary people to run our cities and states and once every four years we pick someone to lead the whole country anyway i think we sometimes put our founding fathers on pedestals and think they were perfect but they weren't and after the revolution these real imperfect men did their very best job they could designing our government since then other real imperfect people have led it that's why real imperfect people like us have to keep government on track and we do that by voting so i remember a a woman uh said I heard a woman ask Ben Franklin once, what kind of government did the Founding Fathers create? And Franklin said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. In other words, our kind of government needs people who care enough to stay informed and and participate. In other words, vote. So today's the day. I'm never more excited than to start my Tuesday with Rob Bowie, and today even more so. Um, Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, great. It's great to be back, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I agree with every word you said. Oh, thank you so much. Um and now we are here at Election Day, and uh, I don't know if you slept at all last night. We're planning on sleeping at all tonight. <laughs> well, I had to sleep last night because I'll be up all night. <laughs> it's going to be a long one, no, isn't it? It's going to be a long one, and I think that uh, all Americans uh, you know, should should pay close attention to what's going on, see what the trends are are heading, and uh, and be prepared for this uh, this to last a couple more days. I mean, I think that. Uh, I, I we can all remember that uh, when when we can call it an evening relatively early, uh, with the exception of two thousand. I mean, even four years ago, Bill. I mean, we we didn't know too late into the to the night. That's true. Uh, uh, and so I think that the the complicating factor this year, of course, is is that we're in a pandemic, and and a great number of people have voted early, or they voted uh, through mail and ballots or other means. And it takes a long time for some states to to count those, particularly those states that uh, weren't allowed to start counting them until today. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Daily Signal has done some wonderful reporting. Uh, Melanie Israel did a great story on the stark differences between the two candidates when it comes to abortion. Well, that is, there is a big difference there. Uh, we've done a lot of these comparisons because I think that that's one of the things that uh, that when when voters go to the ballot box, they want to know where the candidates stand on the issues. So much of our, our political coverage these days is driven by their personalities mm-hmm. uh, that we sometimes forget about these policy issues. And I'm glad you started off with this one because uh, there's there's perhaps no more issue where there's such a, a stark a difference as as the issue of abortion. And of course, President Trump, uh, you know, gets the label of the the most pro life president in in history uh for some of the actions that he's taken but but for also some of the uh the words that he's spoken at the march for life and other places where he's really reached out uh to the pro-life community despite by the way the fact that he wasn't identified as somebody uh uh with the pro-life community prior to running for office but he of course he has a strong vice president 
uh, it's quite the opposite for the other two candidates. Uh, Joe Biden and, uh, and, and uh, Kamala Harris have suggested that they're going to do some pretty radical things. Uh, one of them, which uh, isn't on a lot of people's radar, is getting rid of the Hyde Amendment, mm-hmm. which is uh, prohibits government funding of abortion. Uh, that has been in place since the 1970s, and under a Biden administration, that might be gone, uh, depending on who controls Congress. And of course, uh, there's every uh, issue that, uh, that there's all the issues that uh, that come down, like federal funding for Planned Parenthood, um, you know, access uh, to federal funds for overseas and in terms of foreign aid and support. So there's a whole number of issues that, that tie into this particular one and uh, encourage our, our, your listeners to check out our piece on, on the differences. Mm-hmm. When I think of Joe Biden, he was all for the Hyde Amendment uh, and then he flip-flopped on it in the last uh, four, three or four months, I think. Well, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on on Joe Biden from the the left, uh, the progressive activists who uh, who obviously don't think that he is liberal enough on some issues, and uh, this being one of them. Where during the campaign, yes, he did face that pressure, and he decided that he would take a different stance than the one he had when he was a senator and the and the sitting vice president of the United States. So it's disappointing uh, to see. Uh, or, or what I think is a, a quite reasonable policy that um, that has bipartisan support for for over 40 years all of a sudden become so controversial uh, because there are people who want abortion on demand and they want the federal government to have a role in it. And I think it's just uh, fundamentally wrong uh, for taxpayer dollars to be used in this way. Mm-hmm. Rob, when I start to see images of what's going on around the country, I see a lot of People employed um, as carpenters putting up uh, wood over windows and getting ready for uh, what appears to be a violent night. And is there going to be violent protesting or just a lot of early Christmas shopping for many? Well, you know, I, that is true. Uh, I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but you, you're, you're right. I mean, a lot of businesses are taking extra precaution and, uh, and the sales of plywood, at least in some of our major cities, have probably gone through the roof. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not, not too far from where we are uh, based in, on Capitol Hill. Uh, we are prepared uh, for there to be uh, pretty, you know, violent riots uh, should the outcome. Well, Bill, frankly, I don't know if it matters which way the outcome <laughs> turns. I think that there are anarchists out there who are intent on creating destruction regardless of what happens. In fact, there's a group in Washington, D.C. that's called Shut Down D.C. If you couldn't be more explicit in terms of their, their mission and their aims, it is to shut down Washington, D.C. and to cause disruptions. They are uh, out at uh, what, what's now known as Black Lives Matter Plaza, uh, right outside of uh, 16th Street in the White House. Uh, the White House itself has quite a barricade that's been erected around it uh, to keep uh, to keep the president safe. And uh, and yes, uh, you're absolutely correct. There are uh, locations all over Washington D.C. that are already that have already been identified as targets, including our own office at the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal, which is one of 27 conservative organizations that they are targeting um, in the after aftermath of the election. And so they'll be at Union Station tomorrow. Uh, mm. We know that uh, from the intelligence that we've gathered and things that they've publicly posted. My hope is that the Washington, D.C. mayor, uh, the National Guard, if necessary, and others are on call and standing by and, and ready to move swiftly uh, to calm any violence that might break out. Mm-hmm. Rob, one of my uh, smart listeners named Art uh, prompted me to ask you about the Insurrection Act of 1807. Um, and is that something the president might uh, might use? 
Well, so this uh, this is something that's come up before because it was uh, an issue that that happened in the summer. You might recall when we were seeing the violent protests taking place all over the country. And so I appreciate the question about this. Um, it it is an option, of course. Uh, it's it's one that uh, that we at at the Heritage Foundation, our policy experts, do not recommend that he uses. Um, of course, the circumstances that we find ourselves in post-election could be different than the circumstances we were we were reviewing uh, back in in the summer. So, uh, so art, uh, you know, anything is is certainly possible. But um, I think that the most important thing is for all of our leaders, regardless of whether they're Republicans or Democrats, uh, to be doing everything that they can to maintain law and order. That's in fact why we've put them in the positions that we have. We expect them to uphold the rule of law. And I think what we've seen is there are some prosecutors, there are some district attorneys uh, who uh, have, have, you know, turned a blind eye to this. Um, and and there's some criticism right near the, the Washington, D.C. area in, in Baltimore, in fact, and Washington itself, that, uh, that the elect, local elect, elected officials have not moved swiftly enough. And it's required the president to step in and do things um, on his own that uh, that really should be left to the, the local government. So, Bill, um, the, this is uh, this is something that we've been praying about at our home, that there isn't violence, because I think it's deeply concerning uh, for all of us who, who live near a major city where, where this could break out. Mm-hmm. And it seems like uh, not that long ago, this kind of behavior would just be unthinkable or too bizarre. And now when you start seeing boards going up over windows, you go, eh, it seems kind of normal, kind of disturbing. Well, the whole thing's so disturbing. It, 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 it is. And and there have been times when I've driven through Washington, D.C., which, you know, places where tourists not too long ago before the pandemic would, would roam the streets uh, and, and you'd have, you know, busloads of kids get out and and view the, the historic monuments uh, that are now, uh, you know, covered uh, with with plywood. Um, and this is this is happening right in the downtown, the heart of Washington, D.C., uh, in the business district. And I know Washington, D.C. is not alone because I've seen the photos of, of what's going on in other major cities like New York. And I think it is really, uh, re- really disappointing that people have decided that they're going to resort to this because they might not have an outcome that they like. I, look, we've seen this happen before. I know when a, when sports teams win or lose games, uh, people can get carried away and take things into their own hands in ways they shouldn't. Uh, but but you're absolutely right. Uh, growing up uh, through through the 80s, and the 90s, I mean, when we had so many peaceful transitions of power, of course, we had a, a contentious election in 2000, which I think uh, there are still people who are bitter about. In fact, I just read today a report that Joe Biden is going to take lessons uh, that Al Gore from Al Gore's uh, defeat in 2000, and he's not going to repeat those same mistakes. And one of the things that he's planning to do is get up and address the nation tonight. Uh, I think there's so much focus on, on and concern that President Trump would, would prematurely declare victory. <laughs> We've lost sight that there's an, actually another candidate in the race um, who also needs to act responsibly, especially if we're still waiting for the votes to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, your colleague Rachel did a wonderful job over at DailySignal.com uh, talking about uh, can young adults learn to love the free market because they do have a trend towards socialism. I find that interesting. There is a trend. Uh, the, the polling and the surveys show us that that trend exists. I think it's uh, it's something of concern. I think partially it's because our our you know institutes of higher education, our colleges and universities have have. Uh, directed uh, students in, in that direction. I mean, this was happening when I was a student in college. The, um, <laughs> you know, when, when the 
uh, most conservative member of the politics department is is a self-avowed socialist. It tells <laughs> you, that, you know, you, you've got quite a range of views, but they're all on the far left, uh, Bill. And I think that this is this is troubling because I don't think people are being exposed uh, to the the kind of ideas uh, that uh, that they should. And and therefore, when it comes to things like the free market or capitalism, you're absolutely right. And this is why uh, stories like this are so important, I think, for parents to, to, to be aware of and why I think that there is a role uh, for, for parents to play, um, particularly parents who, who understand and value the role of the free market or who themselves may be uh, a small business person. Uh, you know, teach those lessons to, to the younger generation and, and make sure that they understand. Because I'll tell you, um, Kamala Harris had a post on, on Twitter just the other day where she was talking about the differences between equality, uh, which is something that we all should strive for, and equity, uh, which is, um, you know, the... the the ending, the end state where everybody achieves equity. And, uh, and, and it frankly sounded a very socialistic to me, maybe even, even, uh, you know, principles of communism there where, um, where we all, uh, find ourselves in the same position at the end of the day. And I don't think that that's, uh, that's the situation. I think a lot of people can, can strive to have a great life in this country and do the things that they want. And they don't necessarily need, uh, some, some government authority coming in and dictating to them how to live their lives. Yeah. Good point. Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. I encourage you to go to Daily Signal. Com. We'll take a little break. Be right back with Rob. Welcome back to the show. Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. As we talk about Election Day and thinking about uh, presidents and past presidents, uh, Rob, of course, the youngest president ever elected was, of course... John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy, elected at age 43, although the youngest president ever was uh, Teddy Roosevelt because he was 42 when he uh, became president after uh, McKinley was shot. Yeah, and and look, we're we're talking about the youngest here, but uh, we have uh, two of the oldest uh, running for for office this time. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I think that, and, and, and let's face it, uh, the, the baby boomers have had quite a run uh, here. Uh, if you think, think back to it, Bill Clinton, of course, in the 1990s, uh, then George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then we skipped because I believe Obama's from the younger generation, right? Uh, generation X. Yep. And, uh, and then we went back to Trump and, and now we have Trump or Biden. So uh, yeah, quite a, quite a lasting impact that that generation has had on American politics. But, um, but I think that the, one of the big stories coming out of this election could be the influence of the younger voters, which we were just talking about before the break, and also uh, those who um, those minority voters uh, who, by the way, uh, Bill, are surprisingly breaking for for President Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Black Americans, Hispanic Americans, uh, showing increased support for President Trump. We'll see what the exit polls ultimately say. But President Trump already outperformed uh, his his you know previous um, Republican candidates in in this area four years ago. So. Uh, just a little bit of gain there could have a big impact because Republicans have historically done so poorly, uh, with, particularly with black Americans. Yeah. You know, I'm fascinated by presidents and I, I've always enjoyed hearing, you know, interesting facts about them. I mean, Jefferson wrote his own epitaph and including in his many accomplishments, the one he didn't list was being president. 
I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I forget exactly. It was uh, governor of Virginia. I think it was uh, founder of uh, UVA. Right, and right. Maybe author of the the uh, Virginia Declaration of Religious Freedom or something. <laughs> I forget exactly. But yeah, well, and, and let's face it, uh, Jefferson um, was a contestant in – after you know our first president of course george washington mm -hmm. uh, you know that's when after that that's when things got heated and 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 partisan um right john adams and thomas jefferson and of course uh things only devolved from there when it came to to political parties but um but i i do hope uh and and, and again pray that uh that we can have a peaceful transition regardless of, of who wins. I, I hope that uh, the candidates are respectful of one another and, and that all Americans understand that we've gone through this many, many times in, in our, in our history. And, uh, and we're going to get through this again. Yeah, exactly. Um, another uh, uh, great story over at the daily signal, uh, Zach Smith did something on uh, Kim, Fo Kim Fox, that prosecutor um, and some of the havoc that's being wreaked in Chicago. I know Chicago is having a tough time right now. Chicago is having a tough time. They're also uh, having an election in which Kim Fox is on the ballot. Right. So we will uh, we will see uh, what the what the voters think of her her tenure and if they decide to go in a different direction. Uh, we're actually doing a whole series on what we're calling these rogue prosecutors, uh, individuals who um, have in some way been uh, supported by George Soros or his his network of allies. Uh, and frankly, Bill, we have one right here in my uh, my home uh, county of Fairfax County, Virginia, uh, where. Uh, one of these Soros-funded prosecutors unseated. Uh, usually what it is, is it, it's in a pretty liberal area. And so in this case, it was uh, through the Democratic primary. There was a Democrat running, um, a kind of a traditional Democrat, and then somebody who was uh, backed by George Soros who ended up winning that race. So you do see the impact uh, because they decide that they're not going to necessarily follow the rule of law in all of these cases, or they'll be more lenient when it comes to prosecuting some crimes. And it's having an impact, I think, in places like Chicago. So we wanted to shine the spotlight on, on Kim Fox and Marilyn Mosby and, the, and what's going on in other cities because... Uh, Marilyn Mosby's in uh, in Baltimore because we think it's so critically important to take a close look at these cities that are are just uh, you know facing such uh, surges in crime and why uh, we're not seeing any improvement. Right? Is it disturbing that George Soros has so much influence in our country? Uh, it is, uh, and it's been something that's been going on for quite some time. If you look at uh, at, at Soros's history, of course, um, he's had a lot of influence in Europe mm -hmm. and uh, in, in countries there. And uh, starting in 2004, and I remember covering this very closely when I was a, a reporter, uh, uh, you know, covering that race between George W. Bush and John Kerry, and the impact, the influence that Soros was trying to wield in that race. And uh, and yeah, he's he's definitely back. I think his his focuses have changed. He's not so much. Uh, um, uh, making as, as much waves at the national level as he is in, in some other races. But yeah, uh, there's, there's clearly still an, an influence from the Open Society Institute and others whom he's connected to. Mm -hmm. And Virginia Allen over at the Daily Signal uh, did a great story on a family whose business was destroyed. Uh, what can we learn Virginia from that? Yeah, Virginia traveled to Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, which uh, which you know was hit hard uh, by the riots uh, in the aftermath of a police shooting. And uh, talked to uh, we, we've now produced three videos. We have another one on the way uh, for your listeners who are following the story. And uh, and yes, uh, it has been devastating because people uh, in, in some cases have lost everything, and they're they're struggling to. Uh, to even get insurance to cover the losses because of of how things were destroyed, and so uh, Virginia has has told these various stories about uh, and shown shown you know pictures that you 
tend not to see from other news outlets uh, because we think it's so critically important for Americans to understand uh, the aftermath. After after the fires are, are put out, uh, it seems everybody moves on, but the lives that have been destroyed and altered forever uh, you know, have to somehow endure. So uh, we want to be there. We want to tell these stories and uh, we want to make sure that they have a voice, uh, particularly for other people to learn from. They're very, it's a dramatic video, Rob. I watched it and at the end, I, I think I was fighting back tears. It was just so sad to see. Um, it, it is. And the destruction it is, it of is. these businesses and these people's lives. And you go, this all happened just in a flurry of activity over a couple of days. That's right. And it happened right here in our own country. I mean, where, where you would think that this would, would not be playing out in 2020. I think that, again, I think that there's, you know, some contributing factors here. I think people, uh, you know, some people are out of work. They, they've been severely impacted by the pandemic. And it's, it's had, um, you know, obviously... Uh, some, some tragic circumstances uh, for people who have lost their jobs and they're looking for, for meaning. And if they get connected to one of these radical groups, uh, this is what, uh, what tends to happen. Um, and so that's why I think it's so important to have such a strong response uh, to, 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 to quell the violence before it gets carried away and before others are hurt. And then, you know, Bill, the thing that's always so touching for me is the people who, um, you know, paint on their doors or their, 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 their siding and say, you know, spare me, you know, kids right. inside, right. you know, and, and it's like, really, you have to um, go to that length now to do that. So yeah, it is, um, it is definitely troubling. It's, yeah, it's, it's so troubling to see all these images and then to see all of these stores being boarded up. I was uh, in a mall today, which I haven't been, to be honest, in a mall in a long time. And it was reminiscent of when you hear that announcement, if you're in a mall late, the stores will be closing in five minutes. Leave now. <laughs> because it was like the mall was that empty. Yeah. There was just like it, no, no one in there. Right. It's true. It, it's true. And, <laughs> and you know, as we see the number of COVID cases go up and we, we hear these dire warnings from some of the health officials, I think that, uh, you know, it's putting Americans back on edge. I think people were starting to figure out a way through this, uh, obviously wearing masks and, and protecting themselves. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I do think one of the things that, that worries me is that um, as ca- the number of cases rise, uh, people will resort to, to lockdowns again. We're seeing mm-hmm. what's happening in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I think that's only going to make things harder for, for the American people. And people are going to, to, to turn to, um, uh, again, some of these other activities, that, criminal activities that uh, they shouldn't be involved in. And, and if something like the election goes the way that they don't want it to, uh, it just gives them added fuel to the fire. Yeah. Just about a minute left, Rob. Do you uh, think there will be an answer tonight? Uh, there will be a declared winner, or do you think it's going to be another several days after tonight? I, I think that there's uh, definitely a scenario in which we will know the winner tonight. Okay. Uh, that is, if if there's a clear-cut, mm-hmm. uh, the American people have a clear-cut mandate for for either candidate. Mm-hmm. So if, okay. um, if, if Joe Biden or Donald Trump is up big in some of these key states like Pennsylvania, and Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, and and there's already been a big turnout there. Then I think, uh, and the lead is unsurmountable. You know, it, it is is not something that the right. other candidate can overcome. Well, no. Okay. But I think probably I put my. <laughs> I'm not a betting man, Bill. But if I had to guess, <laughs> we probably will wake up tomorrow and still be uh, waiting for the results. All right. I'm looking forward to our our talk next Tuesday. It'll be lots uh, lots to catch up on. Rob, thanks very much. Have a great night with your family. Thank you, Bill. Take yep, care. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor over at the Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com. When we come back, I've asked Dr. Greg Borgon to be with me in studio. We're going to review once again and talk about the beautiful sovereignty 
of God. I can hardly wait. Be right back. We are back with Dr. Greg Borgon. He is a founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. He's an author and an all-around awesome guy. Greg, welcome back. <laughs> it's good to be back, Bill. You know, I put in a request. Um, I said, would you talk to us today about the sovereignty of God? I've been kind of on a on a little bit of a um, theme this week, wanting to make sure I'm reminding all listeners of the sovereignty of God. Well, it's pertinent, isn't it? It I mean, sure is. We live in perilous times. I don't think anyone would argue with that. As we speak, people are probably voting uh, are. for the next president of the United States. Uh, the outcome, in my view, will probably change America as we know it forever going forward, that is. Will the sovereignty of God affect the results? That's the question. We go into those booths to vote and we wonder how much is up in the air. Some, I suspect, are saying that it must be fate or karma. But for us as followers of Christ, it does fall within the realm of God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that, Please. if we could. So when we talk about sovereignty, um, what does it really mean? It means being the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. Only God can make those claims. Therefore, It's God's sovereignty that makes him superior to all other gods and makes him and him alone worthy of worship just for the fact of his attributes, omniscience, uh, omnipotence, omnipresence. Mm -hmm. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. He's probably, well, not probably, he is the only one that can honestly claim the name of a sovereign. We talk about leaders in other countries. They're often referred to as sovereign, but they're faulty sovereigns. They certainly don't satisfy this definition of sovereignty. Yeah. Greg, well, let's, let's, go to the, let's go to the Bible, let's go to the Word and find out what the Word says about the sovereignty of God. Well, here's what it says, uh, Bill, about the sovereignty of God. Number one, God is above all things and before all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's immortal, and He is present everywhere so that everyone can know Him, according to Revelation 21.6. Secondly, God creates all things and holds all things together, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, uh, Colossians 1.16. God knows all things, and this is scary, past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge, for God knows everything completely before it even happens, Romans 11.33. Number four, God can do all things and accomplish all things. Nothing is too difficult for him, and he orchestrates and determines everything that's going to happen in your life, my life, In America and throughout the world, whatever he wants to do in the universe, he does, for nothing is impossible with him, according to Jeremiah 32, 17. Mm -hmm. And finally, God is in control of all things and rules over all things. He has power and authority over nature, earthly kings, history, angels, demons, even Satan himself has to ask God's permission before he can act, Psalm 103, 19. 
So it's good to go ahead and step back for a minute and think about what the facts are. We've heard a lot in uh, rhetoric from various candidates about what the facts are. (laughs) Well, here's the facts with regard to God's sovereignty. Number one, God is preeminent in power and authority. I think all followers of Christ would agree with that. Mm -hmm. God's sovereignty is a natural consequence of his attributes, which we've already uh, described, being all-powerful, ever-present, and Mm all-knowing. He rules the universe. He sets boundaries. Nothing in the universe occurs without his permission. He can prevent anything he chooses. Chooses is the key to prevent. God offers humanity choices. God holds us responsible, however, for those choices and the sins that may follow as a result Mm -hmm. of those choices. There is a difference between the perfect will of God and his permissive will, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Not all things that occur are the direct actions of God. Let me say that again. Not all things that occur are the direct actions of God. Man has a free will by God's decree. God chooses to allow things that he does not directly cause. He often chooses to act indirectly or to allow certain things for reasons of his own. Everything that happens is, at the very least, the result of God's permissive will, even if certain specific things are not what he would have preferred or would prefer. God allows mankind free choices. God does not directly cause everything to happen. Some of his decrees are efficacious. That is, they directly contribute to the fulfillment of God's desire. Others of his decrees are permissive. That is, they allow for indirect fulfillment of God's desire, maybe well down the road, Mm -hmm. maybe after our life. I don't know if I completely understand that, what you just said. About being indirect fulfillment of God's desire? Well, some of his decrees are efficacious, that they directly contribute to the fulfillment of God's desire. I think I get that. Others of his decrees are permissive. That is, they they allow for an indirect fulfillment of God's desire. Maybe I just had to hear it again slowly. Yeah. In other words, God is going to allow us to make choices that certainly, even though we may think is the obvious, it's not going to be out of the boundary of what he ultimately wants to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Because whatever decision we make under his permissive will, if we go to the left when God wants us to go to the right, um, that means God's over with us. He just goes to the left and gives us additional choices. But it all falls within his overall plan because he knows past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. All right, because God is sovereign, he must at least permit all events and happenings. Would you agree? He must at least... At permit. I got to chew on that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's... I mean, nothing's out of the realm of his vision. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. He, and so, he does have to permit everything. Yep. Yes, I get that now. So we do not know all the factors in play in a given situation, Bill. Uh, God does. So, uh, you know, in, in fact, giving us permission to go in and interact under his permissive will... Um, ...means that we think we're acting on an individual issue where there may be several factors at play that unfold over time. Mm -hmm. There may be far-reaching issues beyond our comprehension or awareness outside of our experience. But in the immediate situation, the one that we're dealing with, um, we may not see those things or even be aware of them. God will always act from a position of love. That's what we can rely on. 
and it'll always be in our best interest whether or not we think it's best. So he chooses to permit many things to happen that he takes no pleasure in. For instance, God chose by an act of decretive will or sovereign will to a, or permissive will to allow the kidnapping and enslavement of Joseph. God's permissive will allowed the sins of Joseph's brothers in order to bring about a greater good. After every mistreatment of Joseph, God had the power to intervene. But he permitted the evil, and in the limited sense, he sovereignly willed it to happen. But we know what the result is. So there is a a difference between God's sovereign will and his revealed will. Actually, there are three wills for God. God's sovereign will, what he does regardless, there's nothing we can do to change that. For instance, God's sovereign will is revealed in his unchangeable decrees. He decreed that there be light, and there was light. It was God's will that Jesus suffer and die, but those responsible for his death were still held accountable. At times, God decrees something that gives him no pleasure, such as the death of the wicked. That's God's sovereign will. God's revealed will, that's what God wants us to do or not do. But we have a choice in whether or not we obey it. We are obligated to obey God's revealed or what they call preceptive will. However, we have the ability to disobey it. God's revealed will for Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply, tend the garden, subdue the earth, and not eat of a certain tree. Unfortunately, we know what happened. They rebelled against God's revealed will, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So God's revealed will is contained in his precepts, given to us in order that we can walk in holiness. We have the ability, but not the right, to break those commands. That's his revealed will. So in other words, he's setting out before us a preferred way to live. We can choose that road, or we can choose a different road. We can choose the narrow road, or we can choose the wide road. We know what will happen in both instances. God's desire for us, of course, is to travel that narrow road, that prescribed road. But we have a choice. We can choose to disobey him, to disregard him. So we so far, we've talked about God's sovereign will and God's revealed will. God's mm-hmm. revealed will will be in Scripture. You'll see it in every book of the Bible of what he prefers and how we live. But let's talk about the third and, and final type of God's will. It's called God's permissive will. We can choose to disobey him underneath this umbrella. He allowed Satan to torment Job, an example of his permissive degree. We can choose to disobey God, but as we know, there, there are consequences mm-hmm. to that disobedience. In Romans 1, we see that God gave them over three times. It talks about man insisting on living life on his own terms and, matter of fact, turning the creatures into their idols or to adopt a a lifestyle devoid of any spiritual influence whatsoever. And so he says God gave them over. In essence, what he's saying, those three places in Scripture, they're found, by the way, in Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28, that same phrase, God gave them over. In essence, this is what it means, Bill. If you insist, God is saying, to live life on your terms, apart from my guidance, apart from my precepts, apart from my commands, then I give you over to your desires, knowing full well what the consequences are going to be. Mm -hmm. So if we insist under God's umbrella of permissive will to live life on our own terms, then God says, if you insist on that, 
I will give you over to that. And he reiterates it two other times in that one passage. So it's possible under God's permissive will that if we insist on living apart from him on our own terms, as we've discussed, that God will give us over to our desires, knowing full well what the consequences are going to be down the road. So in one way of looking at these these three types of God's will, Bill, is three concentric circles. The largest one being God's sovereign will. Within God's sovereign will, which, again, we can't thwart no matter what. Mm-hmm. Paul had no choice of being knocked off of his horse in Damascus, right. on, his, on the road to Damascus. Jesus, uh, by God's sovereign will, went to the cross and died for our sins. That was God's prescribed sovereign will. But in there, nestled in there, is a smaller circle called God's revealed will. In other words, he's saying, here's how I prefer you to live. But since I've given you this amazing gift called free will, you can decide not to listen to my revealed will. This is the way to live if you want to be truly human, if you want to realize your full potential, if you want to be tuned to my heart. Mm -hmm. This is my revealed will. And then the smaller circle within those two is God's permissive will. And that's where we're in charge in essence, at least for the time being, because every decision we make in the negative consequences that follow, there are going to be eternal consequences if there's sin. Now, one thing that we can use underneath God's even permissive will to change the order of events to for God to intercede is prayer. Prayer can compel God to intercede in a given situation, an event, or a circumstance, in accordance with his sovereignty, of course. Mm-hmm. He sees beyond the immediate and may choose not to intercede due to a more far-reaching plan of his. There, uh, it, uh, this is where we must trust him by faith that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's a very lofty thought. He sees beyond the immediate and may choose to not intercede due to a far more reaching plan of his. And the situation we're in might be very painful while we're going through it. But we may find at the other end of that tunnel Mm -hmm. that light is not an oncoming train. Right. It's God's love and God bringing about um, his will in our life uh, in terms of the consequences. Let me give you a personal, a very personal example in my own life. When Debbie and I were in the midst of a court battle for the future of our grandchildren, I was on my knees before him pleading for a positive outcome. I was on my knees for two years, Bill. I remember laying across the ottoman and pleading with God in my living room, morning after morning, evening after evening, God, release us from this travesty that is taking place. So for two years, at great expense financially and emotionally, we fought the authorities not to send our grandchildren to foster homes. At the time, I couldn't understand why he seemingly wasn't answering my prayers. And there were days of absolute frustration. There were days of anger. There were days of despair. There were days of terrible disappointment. Little did I realize at the time, though, that certain events had to take place, no matter how painful, before a resolution was finally in sight. We secured the physical and legal custody of our grandchildren, and I'm happy to report 
that we're all one united family again. Wonderful. Mother and father, all of the grandchildren, Debbie and I. So at the time I was going through it, at the time my wife was going through it, at the time my daughter and son-in-law were going through it, we didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And, And you can imagine... In a sober moment, I would say to myself, is this God's perfect will for us? Mm-hmm. Is this God's prescriptive will? Is this, Or is there room for his involvement under his permissive will? So that's my story. And I'm sure there are people in your audience that can relate no, to no that doubt. same set of circumstances. No, no doubt. Greg, is it all right if we take a little break? Sure. Yeah, Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest, talking about God's sovereignty today. And we'll be right back. song for Dr. Greg Borgon, Heart of a Warrior's Ministry. So, really a tender story uh, about you pleading uh, to God for a positive outcome for your grandkids, and when you found yourself in the midst of those difficult, troubling times, were you crying out, where, where is God in all of this? Absolutely. I mean, there were more times than knowing God was absolutely with me. I knew intellectually, Bill, that he was, mm-hmm. but emotionally and the passion of my soul... I just felt desperate. I felt alone. That was not God's doing. It wasn't that he walked away. Is that I was in so much turmoil at the time and so much darkness that it was engulfing me. I didn't see his light, mm-hmm. that he had never left me, that he had me in the palm of his hand. I want you to know I did apologize to him later for my lack of faith <laughs> was in nice light of, of everything yeah, that, that, that was probably happened. Wise. But it doesn't mean that it's always going to turn out well. And that's where faith and trust comes in. Mm-hmm. But I learned a big lesson about trusting God through that whole experience. As we talked about uh, offline a few seconds ago, God often operates on multiple planes at once. He may be operating in the specifics of the situation you're involved in. At the same time, he's trying to develop you spiritually. At the same time, what you're going through plays some part in some larger scheme or larger plan of his down the road that you have little to do with but have some part to play in it. And so on multiple planes, he's operating at the same time. Mm-hmm. But in, in these troublesome times, we, we might ask, where's God in all of this, just like I did? We may not know why he permits what he permits. We may not know the reason. We mm-hmm. might know well after the fact. Or not. Or not. We right. don't. We, he doesn't have to tell us. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Because we have to trust that he loves us and he knows what he's doing. And we may not be in a position, Bill, to understand the details. They might scare us to death. Yeah, so we have point. to trust him. We might not know until we are with him, as a matter of fact, in eternity. In any case, we must trust him. God's will is going to be accomplished eventually, if not immediately. Those who are part of God's family can claim the promises in Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We can rest, Bill, in the fact that our God is actually able to work all things for our good, even when we can't readily see how that may happen. Mm. 
We can go bravely, as one commentator said, into life, trusting that our loving Father sees the larger picture and is faithfully working everything for his glory. That's a wonderful thought. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I love that. Now, one other point I'd like to make about God's sovereignty, Bill, is that God is so- God's sovereignty impacts our sense of identity. For instance, in the exercise of his sovereign will, he formed us in our mother's womb in Psalm 139. He determined when we were born, where we would be born, and how long we would live. He determined our wiring, our temperament, our talents, our bodily form, our intellect, our capacity, our divine purpose, according to Ephesians 2.10, that he prepared in advance. What we do with what he sovereignly gave us is our choice. Here we have God's sovereign will in action at the same time of his permissive will in action. Sometimes God's sovereign will, his revealed will, and his permissive will are operating all at the same time. So what do we do uh, with what his sovereignty gave us is, is really, or what we do with the sovereignty uh, uh, that he gave us is our choice. We can choose a path of self-destruction, or we can submit to his revealed will for our lives because, becoming who he created us to be. One insightful observer put it this way, Bill. When we understand how powerful God is and how much he loves us, we can know we are secure in him. As the object of God's sovereign love, we allow God to define us and give us our worth rather than look to the changing ideals of the world to do so. When we understand that God is in complete control, we are free to live our lives. We need not fear ultimate failure or final destruction, Romans 8.1. We need not fear worthlessness. We can be confident that God will have his way and that it will be good. We can trust that the one who says he loves us is fully able to act on that love in all ways. We can trust that even when the world seems completely out of control, as it may seem to many of us now, God is in control. We know he has the big picture covered, so we can trust him with our daily details. So I'd leave our audience with these final encouraging words, I hope, for them, for all of us, really. Instead of feeling insecure, helpless, and fearful, we can trust God that his will and plan cannot be thwarted. He knows what he's doing. He'll always act in love. Even though the world is growing darker, his light will prevail in the midst of that darkness. God's ultimate will cannot be deterred. Living faith is, as the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, Living faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients uh, were commenting on. So that's what I would encourage our audience to be aware of. It may seem dire at the moment. It may seem impossible to bring some sort of resolution to the conflict we may be involved in. But we have to trust God that ultimately his will will be done, and it'll always be out of an act of love for us. That's what we have to trust mm-hmm. in, Bill. Greg, we always uh, seem to think that we know how things are supposed to turn out or how things are supposed to look like, and 
I think we take all of those thoughts and say, let's take him right to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, you are in control completely. I think we do that pretty regularly as believers, but what a great reminder today. Yeah, we have to recognize, Bill, that it says in Scripture, now we see dimly or darkly. When we're in his presence, we'll see clearly. I think there's going to be so many aha moments when we meet Jesus Christ and we finally realize, oh, that's what you were doing. (laughs) I didn't have a clue, Lord. As a matter of fact, I was mad about it at the time. But now I see the beauty of your plan. And I bend my knee to you as sovereign Lord. Mm -hmm. What a happy moment that'll be. Yes, it will. Yeah. Greg, I appreciate you coming in and sharing this uh, many scripture passages on uh, the sovereignty of God. I I love the subject. I think it's uh, one we should be thinking about every day. And you've given us lots of great scripture verses to look at. And I think if we will dissect these, there's a whole lot to chew on here. And I appreciate uh, all the reminders and what the Bible says about the sovereignty of God, what the facts are, and how uh, we can choose uh, to be obedient and follow his will. You know, I I have to remind myself regularly of this sovereignty we've just discussed, Bill, especially in the midst of the darkness. And so when you, you are in darkness, folks, remember God's sovereignty in your life. And that sovereignty is always based on a foundation of love, unconditional regard Mm. for your well-being and welfare, even if we can't see the immediate result at the moment. I love that. Great uh, way to end. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. His uh, website is heartofawarrior.org, heartofawarrior.org. We'll take a little break. We've got hour two coming up. Uh, Hans von Spakovsky will be joining the show right at the top of the hour. Uh, Looking forward to a conversation with him. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.